1: Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at WBEZ.org events.
2: From WBEZ Chicago, I'm Trisha Bobita here with Greta Johnson, and this is Nerdette. It feels good to be back. It does
3: feel good to be back, partly because we get to do our most favorite thing, having conversations with our favorite authors and artists. And astronauts. And astronauts. Sharing
2: our conversations with nerds of all stripes with you. To us, it's not really about what you love that makes you a nerd. It's about how much you love it. This week, we
3: talk with author Sarah Vowell. She is a legitimate American history fanatic, and she writes all sorts of weird stories about the dark, dusty corners of American history.
2: But first, as some of you may have noticed, we've been gone for quite some time. And many of you have fairly wondered where we've been during our hiatus. So we decided to ask some friends of the show to come up with conspiracy theories about why Nerdette's hiatus has been so suspiciously long. Conspiracy number one.
1: Hi, this is Mike Pesca, host of The Gist, and I'm here to explain where Greta and Trisha have been, and I have the answer. So, at first I thought, as was widely reported, they were on a swamp in the remote planet of Dagobah, or at least a planet in the Dagobah system, but it turns out, fast forward 30 years, they were actually on a craggy outpost circling each other with their eyes locked at the site of the first Jedi temple. And what happened was... Tricia said, this is the site of the first Jedi temple. And Greta said, actually, technically speaking, this is the site of the first Jedi reform temple. I'm more looking for the Jedi Orthodox temple. And Trisha said, are you going to start in with your Jedi temple stuff again? And Trisha said, you know how I think about that. And Greta said, listen, if you want to get right down to it, I believe in the transubstantiation of the Gungan Eucharist. During the ceremony, I believe that Gungan flesh becomes whole. And Tricia said, no, it's only symbolic. And then Trisha says, you know, this isn't even my type of nerddom. And then Greta says, oh, you're not going to do it. And then Trisha started singing in show tunes. There's no business. And Greta said, I'm out of here. So they've been working it out since then. But from what I hear, they're back. So that's where they've been. May the force be with you. No business like show. Trisha, we just
3: came back. Why like are you doing no that? Business, <laughs> oh, Mike Pesca, your brain is so weird. Thank you for that.
2: It's all true. Whatever Mike Pesca <laughs> says is always true. You can trust him. Okay, here's another conspiracy theory. Number two comes from a host of NPR's Invisibilia, a podcast all about the unseen forces that control our lives and maybe our podcasts. Hey,
4: Lula Miller here, just weighing in on where the heck Trisha and Greta have been. Now, some people might think that they were just like too busy doing their day jobs to make Nerdette, but those people would be naive. Those people wouldn't have spent hours rearranging the letters in Nerdette to discover the anagram read tent. That's right which only communicates to me one thing. They've been making a tent out of reeds, nerding out with not just tent architects and wind instrument players, but also outdoorsy nerds. And there's gonna be a show where they play the reed tent. The wind plays the reed tent and it makes the most beautiful noise and it's like a wind ensemble made of wind.
3: And our final conspiracy theory comes from Peter Segel. He's the host of NPR's Wait Wait Don't Tell Me and he co-hosts Nerdat Recaps Game of Thrones with us.
5: Peter Segel here with a 30 megaton truth bomb about where Trisha and Greta were for the last 6 months. Greta and Trisha were in Orlando consulting with top Disney Imagineers about creating Nerdette World. Guests at Disney Animal Kingdom will be able to enter an amazing universe in which they get to sit in a shared apartment on Chicago's North Side, binge-watching Netflix shows in their jammies, writing West Wing fan fiction, and occasionally talking to famous people on the phone. And I can reveal this now. Every now and then, an animatronic Peter Sagel will show up to tell you that you're wrong. Now, the attraction is set to open sometime in 2017, but until then, if you want to live the nerdette life, there's only one way.
2: It doesn't matter why we were gone. The important thing is, we're back. This week, our special guest is Sarah Vowell. Sarah Vowell has done lots of stories about American history for This American Life, and she was also a historical context correspondent for The Daily Show. She's the author of a pile of nonfiction books, including
3: Assassination Vacation, which is essentially where she took a road trip to explore all these places
2: where American presidents were murdered, which is, like, super fun, right? It totally fits with Sarah Vowell's vibe, which is dark and funny and super smart. Sarah Vowell's latest book is Lafayette in the somewhat United States. And in honor of
3: Sarah Vowell, I feel like it's only fair to give you a little bit of historical context before we move forward. Maybe you don't know who Lafayette is. That's totally fine. I did not know before I read this book. This book is about the Marquis de Lafayette, and he was a super rich French guy who helped the Americans win the war against the British when we were fighting for our independence.
2: She thought it was going to be a breezy book about everybody's favorite Frenchman, but then it got
6: complicated. I always intend to write a normal book. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I don't believe you,
0: man.
6: <laughs> I mean, what I think of, you know, it's like, I don't, I can't think of an example, but, you know, like the stories of all the good rock and rollers were kids who were trying to write a Beatles song and failed, <laughs> yeah. you know.
2: And the way they failed ended up being great.
3: It in ended up right. being, yeah, mm-hmm. their
6: way of writing a song. There's something I really
3: love about that, though, that like... I think so much of the book is that notion that our weaknesses are what actually distinguish us from the rest of the world, too, though, right? I mean, it is that right to disagree with someone that makes us exactly what we are for better or for
6: worse. Word. <laughs> <laughs> it's, I'm sorry. I am i don't know what to do because mostly I've been talking about my book to people either, who either haven't read it or aren't, like, focusing on exactly what I wanted the reader to come away with. So, I was kind of listening to you, but I was kind of thinking, oh, what a relief. <laughs> That's kind I'll of the Penguin Nerdette. Uh-huh.
2: Right? We kind of obsess.
6: <laughs> we obsess about the actual stuff. Well, I mean, it, it is kind of this weird circle because mostly the when I started writing about him, I had written a short piece years earlier about when he came back to America in 1824. And it's a very nice sentimental story about this old warrior who comes back from France and is feted by, you know, his old adopted country. And it was it was so uplifting and sweet, even. So I thought I was going to write an upbeat book. And then, I mean, every time I have to put Lafayette somewhere on the space-time continuum to tell his story... Um, there's some kind of like squabble going on in the background. You know, like when he arrives and he joins up with Washington's army and he's in the army for maybe five months. And he writes Washington this letter from across the camp at Valley Forge. And he basically says, "I, I think America can defend herself. But the gist of his letter is, I feel like you guys can fight the British if you would just stop fighting each other because, you know, the army and the congress there's a conspiracy to fire George Washington the congress is just constantly bickering and ineffective and then the, there's a a whole other faction on the american side who are for the british mm-hmm. and he's you know Lafayette is completely surprised by that And then when I was trying to do my research...
3: Yeah, it's not that different from right now, right?
6: Yeah, because, I mean, I was trying to go to Independence Hall. Right, that was... yeah, (laughs) And Independence Hall was closed because of the government shutdown. But the reason there was a government shutdown is because the government that was invented at Independence Hall is based on this separation of powers. <laughs> so beautiful. And so, I mean, the <laughs> nice little story I set out to write, I mean, there are books like that where you don't have to hear about any of this stuff, but it was just kind of too much accumulated bickering to ignore. I mean, ultimately, I became quite fond of it and hopeful about the national as washington says to lafayette the fatal tendency of disunion amongst the americans and uh i don't think it's fatal chronic
2: maybe but yeah yeah it's chronic
6: good good word um because you know i mean i end the book talking about all the places named after lafayette because mostly um i mean i say he's a mostly a place and not a person anymore. Mm -hmm. And everyone knows of a Lafayette something, a town or a street or a park or just everything got named after him after he came back in 1824. But I end with Lafayette Square across the street from the White House because that's it's like a locus of protest where people like they yell at the president basically and not just Mm -hmm. the American people. You know, people from other countries who would get arrested if they protested their leaders or their leaders policies in their country. And so ultimately, I came to see all of this squabbling and bickering and yelling and fighting and name calling as basically (laughs) a good thing deep down, because the alternative is. Living in one of those societies where everyone is supposed to agree to agree or, you know, they go to prison or worse. So that's my upbeat take. Yeah. The <laughs> yeah. alternative, it, as you know, democracy
2: is the worst form of government except for every other form, right? Yeah. Exactly. I love this character in this book. It's very because... Churchill
6: of you. <laughs> she is. No, I thought of that Churchill-y. just now. No one said I feel like first. you're the
2: Churchill of the room. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I'm a sucker for things like Leo McGarry characters on the West Wing, where it's the guy standing next that's to the guy behind the guy. specific again. <laughs> that's
6: very specific. Trisha Boveda is
3: renowned for her specificity.
6: <laughs> this and was working the, West Wing into all things. This was the chief of staff in the fictional White House. <laughs> right. That's your favorite.
2: <laughs> I love the behind the scenes, next to the person in power people. I find their stories often in history the most interesting because it feels like, The person who wants to be in charge, the George Washingtons or the Jed Bartlett's and whatever the fictional president (laughs) or real president is, to be to want that much responsibility and to be in the spotlight like that, I feel like almost requires enough narcissism that it borders on delusion. So I'm not as attracted to those people as I am the people who want to slog it out sort of in the shadows
6: to Mm -hmm. make that person great. How do you find those people in history? You mean the footnote people? Yeah. Sometimes I find them literally in <laughs> footnotes. You know, like I think my favorite example of what you're talking about is the cartographer from the Fremont expeditions to map the American West. His name was Charles Price. He's basically the first person to make a road map of the American West. And I found him in a footnote because I was reading a history of cartography d- just for fun, <laughs> and there was a chapter on the Fremont expeditions, and then there was just this. Quote it was really crabby about being on the road with Fremont. It was just one sentence, and then it was a footnote that it was from the diary of his cartographer, so I tracked down that diary and Fremont was one of those historical figures who are you know super up. Feet and like he just loves exploring, he loves being out there in the wilderness and meeting Indians and you know climbing mountains. And then his cartographer, what he really likes is drawing maps. <laughs> <laughs> and in order to, in order to do that, he has to go with this psychopathically Super cheerful <laughs> explorer. And and Charles Preuss's, like, diaries are just so grumbly. And he all it is just complaints about the food and the other people <laughs> and how they're out of salt and how he wished he could have wine with dinner. And, I mean, at one point he even says he he fa- has this fantasy instead of being out there in the desert that he is at a market with a shopping basket, you know, so he could... <laughs> and, um like, they climb up some mountain in the Rockies, I think maybe in Colorado, and they think it's the highest peak in the Rockies. They might have been wrong, I think. But at that moment, in Fremont's diary, he's like, um, I'm standing where never human foot has stood before, and I feel the exultation of first explorers. And his cartographer, Price has tripped and like (laughs) rolled down the mountain, and he's all bruised. And one of the lines is, the pain made me sit still for a few minutes. And then at the end of it, he's just like, all my pants are torn.
1: I'm
6: out of pants. Yeah. But, I mean, he had to do that to do his job. So he's, I mean, the reason Fremont's expeditions were so important was because of those maps, you know. So this is the guy. That's the guy I like. The one who's
2: got torn pants and a lot of maps. Just needs to sit down for a second.
3: Well,
6: I mean, I like those stories, too, because I'm attracted to stories about work like real work you know and I speak at a lot of colleges and, and a lot of students have really romantic ideas about the jobs they hope to have someday and you know like that um, advice they're given about how if you love your job you'll never work a day in your life eh, wrong. Right, right <laughs> it's like yeah. um, no actually if you're lucky enough to have a job you love there will still be many aspects of that job that you loathe At a level you cannot contemplate when you're 21 years (laughs) old, and I mean, I think work should be hard, you know. And um, so I always like to like focus on, you know, keep bringing things back to this happened because people applied themselves. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it wasn't like uh, inspirational rhetoric. It was, you know, they had to march. I think we've got
2: a new slogan for these United States because people applied themselves. I like it. We'll hear more from Sarah Vowell and hear Trisha try to justify
3: the fact that she has never seen an episode of The Simpsons. You heard me right, guys. That's
0: all coming up in a minute. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO.
1: More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events.
2: You're listening to Nerdette. I'm Trisha Bobita, here with Greta Johnson. We're talking this week with author Sarah Vowell, who's obsessed with American history. When we asked her why, she quoted one of her favorite writers on the topic, Steve Erickson.
6: The two great inventions of the United States are annihilation and fun, <laughs> <Whoa>. <laughs> you know. Oh, and, my God, that just blew yep. my mind. Right. And so those extremes of American culture are so fascinating, you know, and it's just continually interesting the way we can zip back and forth between the two things. I mean, probably to me the most I guess concrete example of that was one time I was in the Lyndon Johnson Library, so of, fun <laughs> it was I mean it is pretty fun, yeah <laughs> um and there's a display there of the great society laws and all and it's like uh, you know, and um voting rights act and and then on the other side of the wall, I don't know if it's still laid out this way, but was the Vietnam War exhibit, and then so you you turn the corner from seeing all the great society laws. And then you look into the eyes of, you know, soldiers, LBJ's policies got killed. And then <laughs> down the way, the music from the pop music exhibit is blaring and it's blaring Louie Louie, oh you know. God. So it's like, ah, oh, justice and war and Louie Louie. And that seemed to be like the most American 90 seconds of my life, I think. <laughs> Yeah, that's about as American as it gets. I mean, maybe you have that in Belgian history. I'm not sure, but there's just something in all those extremes. There's a lot of room, you know. I want to go back to what you said about
2: the uncomfortableness of people not getting your jokes when you're in a fish out of water situation like that, because it's the core of one of the things that my mom always used to tell her students she used to teach sixth, seventh and eighth graders social studies in American history. And when you know 12 year olds go ugh, why do i have to know this why does it matter the first thing she always says is so you can get the jokes and wow. why that can we just
6: works. pause for a minute so i can call <laughs> my 15 year old nephew and tell him why he needs to like get his geometry homework done cuz that is actually a really great explanation for why because he doesn't like doing the homework but he does like getting jokes. I don't know though the
2: math jokes aren't as good as the history jokes. It's true. Yeah. But to be seeped in your culture, I think it yeah, too no. so much of the time if you're if you're not you end up thinking things are new that aren't, right? Like I have uh, I got guff recently because it came out that I had never watched a full episode of the Simpsons and so someone's showing me a that clip. That's pretty weird. I know. It's, it's, a, weir- super it's a weird it's a weird but now I've sort of decided to own it a little and now I'm not going to watch it. I don't know. That's where I'm at right now yeah, with that. No, I understand. And I mean, they wanted me to see. We don't
6: think that's good, but
2: <laughs> <laughs> also... we've come to terms. <laughs> <laughs> we've come to terms. But they were showing me this clip of this hilarious thing that they love from The Simpsons, and it's the spoof on Harold Hill from The Music Man. And I said, "Oh, cool! Yeah, it's a Music Man parody." And they went, "Huh?" Because their their touch point is The Simpsons, but they actually didn't consume the media that the Simpsons writers were creating. So to them. This joke is just the Simpsons joke. Mm-hmm. And I was like, but I yeah. can sing you the musical that that's from if you want. It's not a song they made up, it's a whole <laughs> so thing. You're justifying your Simpsons ignorance because you know the original material, yeah. Yeah. the source material I'm from the just 40s missed and 50s. It's a generational chunk. Like,
6: I watched the musicals. You're like, that. And the Marx Brothers movies, but not the Simpsons. That is no Robert Preston, whatever. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, Basically, hmm. yeah. Well, I mean, but (laughs) like what you're saying, though, I can think of a million like Simpsons things. Like, I remember when at Bart's school they were learning about the Lincoln assassination, and then a bell rang and it was like a fire drill or something, and then they came back in and Ralph Wiggum was like, "Mrs. Krabappel, was President Lincoln okay?"
2: Oh man,
3: it's so good. See, you are missing some. Good it's only stuff. funny it's good. because he was murdered.
2: <laughs> and if you don't know that the president was murdered, the joke isn't as funny. That's right. Oh man, since we di- diverged into the realm of Music Man for a second there, we did want
6: to ask you: Have you seen and or heard yes. Hamilton? And do you have feelings or thoughts? I have seen Hamilton. Um, I really liked Hamilton, <laughs> and people are wanting to talk about Hamilton. Alexander Hamilton would be like, can we talk about something other than Hamilton? Um, <laughs> but, uh, I mean, for a musical about a treasury secretary, it's a bit of a toe-tapper. <laughs> <laughs> Have you guys seen Hamilton? We've only heard it. Oh. Yeah. That's I what guess... happens in the provinces. Yes. Ex- yeah. yeah. Non-New York. Yeah. Yeah. You only, exactly. Yeah, you're like, I really love the original cast recording. Yeah. yeah. Yep.
3: I signed up for the You just described my Spotify whole adolescence. Trial? yeah well that's the thing for me i like i am not a musical person at all like i played the bassoon in band class but like when it comes to musical theater i like to say that that's trisha's side of the venn diagram and we have enough crossover Mm -hmm, in mm -hmm. science fiction that like it'll be okay (laughs) if she knows more about the music man than i do but like oh my god hamilton like i just listened to it and wept
6: yeah i mean the it is very it has this kind of propelling force you know I mean I think that comes from what I understand to be sort of the idea behind it which was that the creator was reading Ron Chernow's Hamilton biography and he saw that life story immediately as a hip-hop story because Hamilton was this Caribbean immigrant orphan who shows up in New York City and makes good and that's how the story kind of propels forward sort of like Gatsby, like you know, like with Gatsby, I mean, he was found dead in a swimming pool, but it was a very fancy pool, so that symbolizes his rise from nothing. The fancy I like pool. to look on the bright side. I like your relentless optimism. I think it's very <laughs> Isn't it just <laughs> inspirational? <laughs> I no, I really do though. It reminds Thanks. me of when I had my tonsils out as a kid, and I was maybe five or six. And I was sitting in my hospital bed eating ice cream afterwards. And this little girl comes in and, and she's about to get the operation that I've just had. And she's really terrified and crying. And my mom says, oh, Sarah just had that operation. Sarah, tell her how uh, It's okay. It's okay. And I just look over and I say, kid, it hurts like the dickens. <laughs> Because <laughs> you were an 80-year-old Because I was already a non-fiction person,
1: <laughs> you know? <laughs> How does a bastard, orphan, son of a whore and a Scotsman Dropped in the middle of a forgotten spot in the Caribbean By Providence, impoverished and squalor Grow up to be a hero and a scholar the ten dollar founded father without a father got a lot farther by working a lot harder, by being a lot smarter, by being a self-starter by 14. They placed him in charge of for trading chart.
2: That's Sarah Vowell. Her new book is Lafayette in the somewhat United States. Oh Trisha, this
3: music. We still haven't talked enough about Hamilton. But don't worry, it's coming up in homework in a minute on well, their deck
1: got around and said this kid is insane man
5: took up a book collection just to send him to the plane, man get your education don't forget from whence you came and the world's gonna know your name what's your name man
2: All right, there's only one homework assignment for you all this week, and it is something I have to give a lot of credit to because it's the thing that finally made Greta understand the glory that is the American musical theater canon. Yeah, you
3: know, Trisha, it has taken me a while to get to this place. And as you know, I am an extremely obstinate human being. and it's... Often, yes. <laughs> Thank you. That's very, that's a kind concession. (laughs) It often takes me a while to admit when I'm wrong about something. And, you know, sometimes I'll even just like reject the fact even more because why would I admit it? But in any case, I thought musical theater wasn't my thing. And then I listened to Hamilton.
2: And you wept in a grocery store parking lot. And
3: I wept in a grocery store parking lot. I did. Yeah, and you know, I mean, as Sarah Vall mentioned, like, yes, it is a toe-tapper. It is still also the story of America's first treasury secretary, which is like not necessarily the most scintillating conversation topic,
2: right? But in the hands of Lynn Manuel Miranda, it's magic.
5: I am not thrown away ma shot. I am not thrown away ma shot. Just like my country, I'm young, scrappy, and hungry, and I'm not throwing away my shot. I'ma get a scholarship to King's College. I probably shouldn't brag, but dag, I'm amazing, astonished. The problem is I got a lot of brains, but no polish. I gotta holler just to be heard with every word. I drop knowledge, I'm a diamond in the rough a shiny piece of coal trying to reach my goal my power of speech unimpeachable only 19 but my mind is older these new york city streets get cold. i shoulder every burden every disadvantage i've learned to manage i don't have a gun to brandish i walk these streets famished the plan is to fan this spark into a flame but damn it's getting dark so let me spell out the name i am the A L E X A N D E R. we are meant to
3: be that is my shot from the Broadway hit musical Hamilton. Even if you don't live in New York it is worth listening to I promise.
2: Greta I'm just so glad that now that you are in love with Hamilton I can try to force feed you other original Broadway cast recordings. <laughs> <laughs> yeah be careful. <laughs> can we listen to a little bit more of this song? Yes please. Always.
5: I will lay down my life if it sets us free Eventually you'll see my ascendancy And I am not thrown away my shot I am not just like my country, I'm young, scrappy, and hungry, and I'm not throwing away my sha. I am not thrown away my sha. I am
2: not thrown away my shot. Next week on Nerdette, the author of Furiously stop. Happy, a book that you may not have read, but I bet you saw it in a bookstore and you noticed it because it has a terrifying glittering raccoon on the cover
6: (laughs) half of him is like happy birthday surprise and the other half is like i'm gonna eat your face off and like you have no (laughs) idea what's going on
3: jenny lawson author of furiously
2: happy will be on this show next week be sure to check it out you can find links to all of your homework always at nerdatpodcast.com the show is produced by us trisha bobita and Greta johnson with help from joe de our interns are Maya Cole, Seabren Mallard, and special thanks to our outgoing intern, Justin Bull. Our executive producer is Joel Meyer. You can listen to us wherever you're listening to us, because clearly you already are. But we would love it if you took the plunge and subscribed on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud. And we have to give special points today to From
3: the Piney Woods of Texas, who said in their very kind review of us that they are hooked like a fish to Nerdette. That's get a it, Zygma right there. there.
2: That's my favorite literary device. I this know. person gets, they give us five stars. I give them six. <laughs> I give them six stars because they used a Zygma. Let me make sure, to level set here, a zoogma is when you say something and it gets two meanings at once, so I went fishing and caught three trout in a cold, right? Mm -hmm. The way you catch a fish and the way you catch a cold, not the same, (laughs) but you get to use this one word for two reasons, and it's this beautiful economy of language, and I love it. Uh Six stars to this person, whose iTunes name sounds like a country western song. I do have one problem with the word zoogma. What? It is not spelled Z-O-O-G-M-A. It should be, that's true. Zoogma. What do we see about that?
3: In any case,
2: you can also find us on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram. Instagram is where Greta writes these teeny tiny book reviews, so book nerds, make sure to check that out. Nerdette is a production of WBEZ Chicago, where there is a wide array of podcasts available for all sorts of different nerds. Music nerds, check out Sound Opinions. Movie nerds should be listening to Film Spotting. You can find all of that at wbez.org slash podcasts. Our theme music is by Poddington Bear. Do your homework. Do your homework.